Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 33. I wrapped up last week's episode having just finished most of the people, places, and things found in Judges 8. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm beginning with a couple of the remaining items from that chapter and pressing forward. And with that, let's get started. First up is Jether, presented in chapter 8 as the judge Gideon's eldest son, the one who was too scared to execute the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna. Surprisingly, especially given the context that's found in Judges, his name means either surplus or excellence. Then again, it was also the name of Moses' father-in-law, at least in some translations, and as seen in Exodus. What makes that reference, and the one in Judges, Gideon's son, ironic, is that Moses' father-in-law was said to be a priest of Midian, and Gideon asked his son, with the same name, to execute two kings of Midian. Do note that some, perhaps most translations, name Moses' wife's dad as Jethro or Jothor, not Jether, but some do. Back in Judges, the oldest of Gideon's 70 sons has the same name. He was asked by his father to kill the Midianite kings who had been captured by Gideon. The text says he was still a boy, and therefore understandably scared at his father's request. Some sources, instead of describing him as being scared, say he lacked the confidence to carry out the task. Seeing this, the two kings called on Gideon to perform the deed himself. There are various interpretations of Gideon's ask and Jether's subsequent hesitancy. One is that Gideon asked his son to perform the execution in order to bestow an honor upon him, or perhaps to humiliate those famous, infamous warriors. This is frequently compared to Exodus 24, where Moses sent the young men of Israel to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice oxen. There's also the interpretation that the passage may be construed as not presenting Jether or his father in exactly a good light, and this does add to the perceived authenticity of the historical account. Just to close the loop, it's worth noting there is a third Jether in the text. This one was the father of Amasa, one of King David's generals. This Jether was said to be an Ishmaelite. There are a few others with the name, but they were even more obscure than these. Next mention in Judges 8 was a specific Baal, Baal Beareth, a Canaanite deity. What's interesting about this Baal is what the name translates to, Lord of the Covenant. Some maintain that there were two different deities with similar names. One was the Lord of the Covenant, while the other was God of the Covenant. The second one, El Bereth, makes its only appearance in the next chapter of the book of Judges. As for Bel Bereth, he appears in this and the next chapter, and that's it too. It should be easily discernible why there's some confusion over if there was one or two with the same name. As for the covenant part, that's also how the name appears in ancient Ugaritic text. Whichever route you go, this bell's worship was centered in Shechem, just a stone's throw from Gideon's hometown of Ophrah, helping to explain why he was mentioned in Gideon's story. 
Researchers believe this bell, these bells, take your pick, may have been worshipped for connections to fertility and vegetation, based on the passages in Judges. It's unclear what covenant or covenants are referred to by the name Beareth. Some speculate, and since it's seen elsewhere in the text where some men from Shechem, known as Sheshemites, are called men of Hamor, this is compared to other places where they are called the sons of Hamor. In the ancient Middle East, the word Hamor referenced men who had entered into a covenant sealed by the sacrifice of a Hamor, their word for a donkey. The phrases children of Hamor or sons of Hamor can be found in both Genesis and Joshua, where Hamor is called the father of Shechem, as it's also seen in Judges. Do note that Genesis also has a man named Hamor who ruled in the area that included Shechem, and his son's name was Shechem. So, maybe a people who had taken a covenant to Baal, the process of which included sacrificing a donkey, or maybe simply the descendants of a man named Hamor. Rabbinic tradition equates Baal Beareth with Beelzebub, a Canaanite deity I covered in Volume 1 of the podcast. As for the idol to this version of Baal, the Israelites worshipped it after Gideon's death. According to some ancient rabbis, the specific idol was identical to the idol of Beelzebub, the so-called Lord of the Flies. And their god, lowercase g, was thought to inhabit a temple at Ekron, and mentioned in the first part of the first chapter of 2 Kings. This Baal's idol is believed to have literally been in the shape of a fly, hence the name. Jewish tradition records that the ancient Israelites were so connected to his cult that they would carry an image, a real idol of him, in their pockets, producing it and kissing it from time to time. Baalzebub is connected with Baal Berith because such Jews might have been said to have made a covenant of devotion to the idol, being unwilling to part with it for a single moment. Do note that this is partially related to the ancient Hebrew word birith, meaning covenant. There is also another proposed connection, and this one related to a very similar Hebrew word, berit, which translates to circumcision. This theory has Bel Berith as an obscene article of idolatrous worship, but with a slightly different manifestation of the religious practice. I'll let you fill in the blank. Much later in the history, as far forward as the 16th century AD, and according to a publication at that time, Bel Berith once possessed a nun in Aix-Provence, a city in southern France. During the process of an exorcism, it was recorded that Bel Berith volunteered not only his own name and the names of all the other demons possessing her, but the names of the saints who would be most effective in opposing them. And that's it for this incarnation of Bel, and the end of Judges chapter 8. Judges 9 begins with Gideon's son, Abimelech. In the text, Abimelech went to Shechem, and more specifically to his mother's family. And remember, his mother was Gideon's concubine, and not officially considered part of Gideon's family. Abimelech asked his mother's entire family to speak on his behalf, to all the lords of Shechem. 
he asked his family to pose a fairly straightforward question. Abimelech asked them, while they were within earshot of all the lords of Shechem, to ask, Which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Gideon rule over you, or that one rule over you? He then reminded them that he was their family, with the implication that the seventy were not. So he would treat them better. With this, his extended family spoke all the words he requested, and so that the lords of Shechem would hear them. And this whisper campaign worked. The text puts it rather succinctly. Their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. The lords of Shechem gave him seventy pieces of silver, and not just any pieces, but silver specifically from the temple of Bel-Birith. Abimelech took the money, using it to hire men described as worthless and reckless fellows. No love lost there. Apparently, the men were hired fighters as they went to Gideon's house in Oprah and killed Abimelech's brothers, the seventy sons of Gideon. It said he killed them all on a single stone. All except one, Jotham, Gideon's youngest son, who survived by hiding. After this, all the lords of Shechem came together and made Abimelech their king, with his coronation occurring at the oak of the pillar at Shechem. And here, we're also given an alternate name for Shechem, Beth Milo. All of this gives me a person to wrap up this episode with, the wayward son, Abimelech. First, something a bit unexpected. His name, Abimelech, isn't as specific as it seems. In Hebrew, it simply means either my father is a king or my father reigns. Close enough. It was also a generic name given to all Philistine kings in the Old Testament from the era of Abraham through King David. So, more of an informal title than an actual name. The name can also be found in the outside record. The 14th century BC, Armana tablets record an Egyptian governor of Tyre, similarly named Abimelech. Some researchers think he may be the original source of the name and title. And of course, there's the son of Gideon. What's unknown is if his name really was Abimelech, or if it merely served as a title, an attempt to connect him to the power and prestige of his father. Like I just covered, he had nearly all of his brothers murdered and was crowned king of the region, but his youngest brother, Jotham, escaped, then made a pronouncement against Abimelech and those who had crowned him. And it wasn't just any pronouncement, it was a curse. The curse was that if they do not deal righteously with the family of Gideon, then fire would come against Abimelech from the people of Shechem and fire would come out of Abimelech against the people who had backed him in the bloody coup. More on that in a near future episode. After Abimelech ruled for about three years, the curse finally came to fruition. The people of Shechem, apparently tired of their leader, allowed robbers to lie in wait for any traitor headed to Abimelech. When the traitors carrying money and goods finally passed by, they would rob them stealing everything. Then, a man named Gaul went to Shechem, and while drunk, bragged that he would remove Abimelech from the throne. 
Zebul, the local ruler, sent word to Abimelech, along with the battle strategy. There's much more detail to the story. Detail I'll cover when I get to Gaul. Just know that he and his allied men engaged Abimelech in a battle and lost. After this, Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against it. When he went close to the town's tower to set it afire, a woman dropped a millstone on Abimelech's head. It didn't quite kill him, though, but he was dying, and he didn't want to be known as having been killed by a woman. So he asked his armor-bearer to run a sword through him, which did the trick. There are other Abimelechs. One was the king of Gerar in Genesis, and during the era of Abraham and Isaac. This Abimelech makes appearances outside of the Old Testament, though in quasi-religious text, such as the Cave of Treasures and the conflict of Adam and Eve with Satan. He was listed as one of twelve regional kings said to have built the city of Jerusalem. Another Abimelech was the father of Abiathar, the high priest during King David's reign, though his name is also listed as Ahimelech. Most researchers consider this latter version of his name to be more correct. A different Abimelech can be found in the Psalms. This one, the king of Gath, sometimes named Achish. And that's the history of Gideon's rebellious son, and a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week, when I'll pick up in Judges 8. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent in the comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.